We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, November the 5th, 2020. On today's show, I break down South Carolina's game as the Gamecocks take on the seventh-ranked Texas A&M Aggies at Williams-Brice Stadium. I'll talk about the game in its entirety, break down A&M, top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys the game, much, much more to get into on a packed edition of the Spurs Up Show. Also, your listener questions and voicemails, and we have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks right-handed pitcher TJ Shook joined me live in the studio. We talk about his South Carolina career, being a local kid, playing for Chad Holbrook, Mark Kingston, his professional career now, obviously, being with the Milwaukee Brewers. A ton to get into, a fantastic interview, and a fantastic show upcoming for you guys to so sit back relax enjoy it is all brought to you by our friends over at upstate movers group guys upstate movers group superior moving service they bring care and attention other companies can't offer because simply they're too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service guys service is what separates upstate movers group from the competition so guys they're not a trucking company they are a moving services company and they're employee-owned co-op as well which means their movers are paid twice the industry average everyone in the crew is just just as invested in the success of the project as you are, and they have dedicated professional crew members. They also offer black glove service, which means they offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating, and packaging for special items and cleaning services as well. They were founded by Greenville Natives, and University of South Carolina alumni. Guys, a Gamecock-owned small business. Gamecocks helping Gamecocks. You know that I'm all about that. We're all about that here on the Spurs Up show. Again, a Gamecock-owned small business. They offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply don't have the skills for. Guys, for your moving needs, if you're in the upstate or even in the state of South Carolina, be sure to check out my friends at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them first on social media at Upstate Movers Group, but check out their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That is upstatemoversgroup.com. Again, guys, they are founded by University of South Carolina alumni. Again, Gamecocks helping Gamecocks. If you're a Gamecock, no matter who you are, but especially if you're a Gamecock and you're in the upstate or throughout the state of South Carolina and you have any moving needs, because listen, we all know that moving, it can be a very strenuous process, a very stressful process. I know that when I've moved in the past, it has been absolutely brutal. And I wish that I would have had someone like Upstate Movers Group to help me in the process. So again, if you have any moving needs, especially during this holiday season, you want somebody to help out, Upstate Movers Group is the way to go. Be sure to check them out on social media. And of course, give them a ring. Check out their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That is upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at MyBookie. Guys, 
my bookie between the NFL, college ball, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's no shortage of games to watch and with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. Guys, if you're the person who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. It's a little bit more stressful, but I can tell you guys, a parlay is a fun way to get the juices flowing. Not only do they make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And guys, don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The thing about the NFL and college football, really, is that underdogs are never really dogs, right? I mean, we know as South Carolina fans, our team is a dog going in the game this weekend, but you never know. You just never know in football. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Guys, you can sign up today at mybookie.ag. That's mybookie.ag. And when you do, use the promo code GAMECOCKS. So again, mybookie.ag, promo code GAMECOCKS to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. So guys, you go to mybookie.ag, you put in $1,000, they are literally going to match that with a $1,000 free play. And everybody likes free stuff. We could all use a free play in our lives, right? So again, it's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. Again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code GAMECOCKS, mybookie.ag, Promo code Gamecocks for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Guys, stacked UFC cards, all the major sports. Heck, I'm recording this right now on a Wednesday night. We have Maction back. Maction is back. If you want to bet on all the college football this weekend, sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Let's get it. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed show here on a Thursday. South Carolina taking on the Texas A&M Aggies this Saturday night at Williams-Brice Stadium. Obviously, it is Thursday, so I will spend the entire show breaking down the Aggies, the storylines, the key matchups, the keys to the game, all that good stuff as we get ready to start the second half of the 2020 football season and watch the Gamecocks hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, Start it in dramatic fashion and get a big-time win over a top-10 opponent. Before we get into everything, guys, and I truly do appreciate you all tuning in. Just a couple of housekeeping items as always. First things first, if you have not done so, click the pause button right now. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Google Podcasts, I should say. If you have not done so, click the pause button, rate the show, leave a review, leave five stars, your thoughts, your feedbacks. If there's things you like, things you don't like, you want to hear more of, less of, that is a great place to do it. Trying to hit 500 reviews by the end of the season. So we've got five games left, guys. We're slowly creeping to 400. Would love to get to 500, but guys, if you haven't done so, again, it takes five seconds out of your day. Go leave a review. And also, if you're not subscribed, guys, I'm not sure what you're doing, hammer the subscribe button. You're going to get the daily notifications when the podcast drops. Obviously, if this is somehow your first time listening to the Spurs Up show, I drop a show every single day, Monday through Friday. So you want to make sure you're not missing out. You're getting those daily notifications. Also, 
Subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening to this show right now, if you are hearing the sound of my voice, do me that favor. Subscribe on YouTube. We're trying to hit 1,000 subs. And, of course, follow on social media if you don't. But, again, rate and subscribe. Pretty please. Please do that favor for me. Rate and subscribe. And if you've already done so, again, I thank you so much for doing that and supporting the show. Um, Another quick thing really quickly. Watch party this Saturday. I want to remind you guys, watch party Saturday at Overtime Bar and Grill. We are back at overtime, it feels like it's been forever because you think we went to Baton Rouge for LSU, then we had the bye week. So, I mean, it's it's been a couple of weeks. It was Auburn the last time I was there. But, guys, be sure to come out. Doors open at 5, kickoff at 7. I will be doing the pregame show via the Daily Crow yet again. So, that'll be available on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. But 6 to 6.30 is when I'll do the pregame show. And, obviously, again, the watch party Saturday night, overtime bar and grill right down the road from the stadium. I mean, you couldn't get asked for a better location I know the game's at home, but listen, only 20,000 can go in. Not everybody can go in. So if you do need a spot to watch the game, Overtime Bar and Grill, that is the place to be. Be sure to check it out again. Doors at 5, kickoff at 7, pregame show 6 to 6.30. It is going to be an absolute blast, so be sure to come out. All right, let's go ahead and dive into it. South Carolina taking on the 7th-ranked Texas A&M Aggies. Carolina looking for their second win of the season over a top 15 opponent, which it feels crazy to say that, that you'd have that opportunity this year, I guess you could say. But that's what's in front of the Gamecocks this Saturday when the seventh-ranked a Aggies come to town. Seven o'clock kick on ESPN at Williams-Brice Stadium. Texas A&M, as we talked on Wednesday, is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over-under set at 59-and-a-half, guys, which is crazy because the total has moved so much this week. It literally opened up at around 55 or 55-and-a-half. And I said then, the over feels like stealing. I remember when it came out Sunday, I was like, the over feels like stealing. And of course, it's jumped four points since. But AM right now, nine and a half point favorite. I've seen 10 as well in different places. So that'll tell you what Vegas thinks of this game. They've got the Aggies a double digit favorite in Columbia. Take it for what you will. Series history, as we all know, AM leads six to zero. And the last time they met was last year. Texas AM won the football game 30 to six in. What was an absolutely just brutal game? Near the end of last year's season, again, I know we all remember the game. Um, I think that's one of the – how do I put this? Uh, There aren't many times that I've watched South Carolina football where I I don't remember ever clapping or even cheering or even standing out of my seat. The 2018 Belk Bowl and that A&M game last year – both fall in that category, though. I mean, that was one of the most brutal experiences. You guys probably remember, Brian Edwards was ruled out in pregame, and from that point, you're like, oh, my God, this is this is not going to go well. So, again, the series has been close. The games have been close, but A&M got the better of South Carolina last year, 30-6. to Breaking down the Aggies, their head coach, Jimbo Fisher, coming into his third season. He is in his third season. The Aggies are 4-1 and one overall right now. Again, like I said, they're ranked seventh in the country. They have wins over Vandy. They have that big win over Florida. Mississippi State and then Arkansas are their four wins. Their one loss to the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, I mean, you kind of think about their schedule and who they've played, who they beat, who they've lost to, and you're like, well, the loss was to Bama. So you can kind of forgive that because Alabama just beats everybody. But overall, Texas A&M off to a good start in the 2020 season. They're, they're actually, you know, it's crazy. They're actually very similar to South Carolina statistically. So they average 30 points per game and give up 29 points per game. The Gamecocks right now are scoring 29 points per game and averaging giving up 30 points per game. So very similar statistically. Statistically, One thing that stood out to me about Texas A&M, they are tied second in the league in the SEC in sacks. They have 14 sacks as a defense. And when you think of 
South Carolina struggles as far as giving up sacks. And I think I read something today that Colin Hill is the most sacked quarterback in the SEC. And that, that is a brutal stat. That that will keep you up at night. That that will, I'm sure Eric Wolford has nightmares about that right now. When you put those two together, AM really, really good at getting after the quarterback, and South Carolina has not been good protecting the quarterback in pass pro. Could cause some problems for South Carolina. And of course, when you break down the Aggies, you got to talk about Kellen Mond, the veteran quarterback. His fourth season, one of those guys that it feels like he's been in college forever. I think last week against Arkansas, he actually just set the Aggie record for total yards uh, as a Texas A&M Aggie in a career. So he's had a phenomenal career, certainly his ups and downs. I I, I think I've certainly, uh, I've gone overboard with the praise a little bit at times because I just remember that one game that he had against Clemson where he balled out. And I thought to myself, this guy's a gamer. This guy's an elite quarterback and he's had his ups and downs and you know, he's been inconsistent at times, but Kellamond overall, a veteran quarterback, you're not, you're not going to do a lot to, you know, as far as trick him, or there's not going to be many things he hasn't seen as a starting quarterback in this league. So always valuable when you have that type of piece. And again, he will come into Williams Bryce on Saturday night, looking to remain undefeated against South Carolina. And that's where I want to start with the top storylines in this game. Cause when you look at all the storylines, every time you play AM, basically until you beat them, this is going to be the lead one for me. Is this the year that South Carolina gets that Aggie-sized monkey off of their back? Because, again, six straight losses to them. You've never beaten Texas A&M. And I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. I think it was on the Daily Crow, or maybe it was just in passing with somebody. But I talked about going into this game. And I understand the ranking. Texas A&M seventh in the country, which I think the rankings are kind of kind of fluffed up this year anyways because of the, the, the craziness of the year. But either way, they're a top-10 team. Texas a has a lot of talent. They have a great coach in Jimbo Fisher. We all are familiar with the Aggies and what they bring to the table. But even with that being said, I have a hard time. You know, if Will Muschamp wants to look me in the face and look us as fans in the face and say, this program is headed in the right direction. This program is headed in the right direction. We're trending upward. It's hard for me to believe that. When you have a six-game losing streak and a potential seven-game losing streak to anyone, I, I don't care if it's Clemson, I don't care if it's AM, I don't care if it's Kentucky, it does not matter to me. I don't care how good the opponent is. If you have a seven-game losing streak to someone, that's sort of an indictment on your program, I feel like. And I know the thing that's so frustrating for all Gamecock fans is so many of these games have been close. Like, there have been multiple chances. Granted, there's been a few blowouts, 14 and last year definitely come to mind. But there have been many, many opportunities for South Carolina to get that monkey off their back, like I said, get that Aggie off their back and break through and get that win. And for whatever reason, Texas A&M has just found a way to beat South Carolina. So, again, I asked this question yet again. I think I may have asked it last year going into the game. But I asked this question yet again. Is this the year that South Carolina can finally get that Aggie off their bat. Because again, like I said, as a program, if you really want to justify you're going in the right direction, and I've talked about before, the importance of this football game to me, you know, going, this is the kickoff of the second half of your season. You're starting off the second half of your year. You're two and three right now. Getting to 500, which I said was the minimum expectation the preseason as far as justifying things are going in the right direction. I, I said before the season, if you get if you go if you can go five and five or better with this 10 game SEC schedule, which I thought was very, very doable, and it still is doable, at that point you can justify, okay, things are going in the right direction. You know, we we feel good about the direction of the program, whatever. I I I would take that. 
But anything less than that, four and six, three and seven, God forbid anything less than that, you're, you're regressing. You're continuing to re- regress as a program. I look at this game for the second half of the season very similarly to how I looked at t- Tennessee to start the year. As far as setting the tone, um, you know, the importance of it, getting the second half of the season off on the right foot. You know, I, I think this Texas A&M game could serve as a springboard, if you will, because you look at the rest of this schedule. You look at the second half. I can look at this and say, legitimately say there are four games that are swing games for South Carolina. And Georgia, which I'm, which I'm chalking up as an L, hell, you beat them last year at their place. So you never know in that game. But again, that's the other thing that's frustrating with this game, Cox teams. I think South Carolina fans could see this team going 4-1 and one or, God forbid, 5-0 and oh to close the year. But you could also see South Carolina losing every game they have left. So I think this game against A&M, and again, I don't care if they're a top-10 team. I, I, I don't care about any of the hoopla coming in about Texas A&M, whatever. You got them at your house at night. You've never beaten them before. You lost six straight to them. Eventually, something's got to give. You've got to get that Aggie off your back. And again, I think this game is going to set the tone for the second half of this football season. Even, and I hate to say this because I don't really think there are moral victories, but even if you battle them down to the wire and you lose the game close, at least you you may be able to pull some positives from that. But if you if we see the type of performance we saw in Baton Rouge, that type of ass whipping, you are setting up this second half to be a massive failure. So there's opportunity in the second half, no question. But can South Carolina finally find a way at home, at night, on national TV? Can they finally find a way to get that Aggie off their back? It'll be interesting to see. My other top storyline, and we've been talking about this all week long, so it is certainly a storyline, but the play of Colin Hill and overall, the quarterback position. I know everyone is going to have their eyes on Colin Hill, the quarterback position I've talked about all week long. I don't think Colin Hill is the number one source of the problems for South Carolina. I really don't. I really don't think so. Um, I think it is the defense. When you look back, you look back at the LSU game. If you can't force a team to punt, you're not going to win the football game. Bottom line. I understand why when things are going south, especially when you don't have the guy, quote unquote, and you've seen some of the shortcomings Colin Hill's had. Again, he's taken the most sacks in the SEC of any quarterback. That that is not a great stat to be leading in. But all eyes are going to be on Colin Hill because Will Muschamp made it clear on Tuesday. He is QB1. He is going to start the football game. How does South Carolina handle the quarterback position? Do we see more of Luke Doty? God forbid, do we see any Ryan Holinsky? Um, or do we just see Colin Hill the same as we've seen him the first half of the season? Do we see him, see him take every snap? I'll be very interested to see. And how does Colin Hill, how does he bounce back from that game at LSU? Because, again, when you look at the stat line, it was a very on-brand game for him, but he did not play well. I mean, there, there's no, you know, th- there's no uh, justifying otherwise that he, like, played well in LSU or something. And a lot of those yards and, you know, one of the touchdowns, that was pure garbage time. So, what type of performance does Colin Hill have in store for this game on Saturday? Because, again, unfortunately, and you know it's going to happen, if he does not play well, the calls for Ryan Holinsky, for Luke Doty, the social media madness is going to be at an all-time high. And I, and I understand, listen, it comes with the position. You get too much of the credit, you get too much of the blame for certain, surely. 
And, hey, I, I've only said from the beginning, I just want to see the guy that gives South Carolina the best chance to win football games play. I don't care who it is. I don't care what his name is. Get him out there. But I will just be interested to see because you would think those Luke Doty rumors, maybe they started from something. I mean, I never did put a whole lot of stock in it, but do we see more of Luke Doty? Do we see more of Luke come in? Do we at all, for any reason, see Ryan Linsky come in? Again, all eyes will be on Colin Hill in the Gamecocks quarterback position. I'm very excited and intrigued to see what Hill has in store against AM. Uh, my other key storyline, battle of the running games. I am so if you hey, if you love running the football, if you love the running game, this is going to be a fantastic game to tune in because listen guys we're going to be blessed with watching two of the best in the sec go at it on the south kind of side of things we all know kevin harris what he's doing right now on pace for a thousand yards but a&m's got a damn good one themselves isaiah spiller spiller averaging six yards per carry and i think he's like 40 or 50 yards behind kevin harris i cannot wait to see these two guys tote the rock. You know, I was watching some film on Texas A&M, their game last week against Arkansas. Spiller, a really quick guy, really shifty. The Gamecocks are going to have to be flawless in their fundamentals as far as wrapping up, tackling, because he's going to run through an arm tackle. He's a guy that's going to make a guy miss. The Gamecocks are going to have to stay in their lane, stay in their gaps, and be disciplined all night long. Because, again, Isaiah Spiller, one of the best in the SEC. And a and is going to lean on him. There's no question they're going to lean on him. And I feel for South Carolina defensively especially, if you can't stop the running game yet again, and maybe this comes off as an obvious, but if you can't stop the running game, you have no chance in this football game because Kellen Mond, being a veteran quarterback, he can also run himself the dual-threat capabilities of Kellen Mond. It is going to make for a very, very long night for this South Carolina defense. But just as a football fan, I am so excited to watch these two running backs go at it again. Harris against Spiller, which guy ends up with more yardage. Um, and it's also kind of two different running styles, too, because I think of Kevin Harris much more of just simply a north-south guy. He's going to run you over, put his shoulder in your chest, whatever. And then Spiller, who's, who's got a little bit of that in his game? Let's give him his credit, but extremely shifty. Again, very quick. Will make a guy miss. He's a guy, you take a look at Isaiah Spiller last year. Led their team, 174 carries, 946 yards and 10 touchdowns. So, again, this guy has been doing it for a little bit. One of the best in the SEC, the battle of the running games. Which team's running game performs better Saturday night? That's going to be fun to watch. Another big storyline for me, and I was just talking about it when I was talking about the AM running game, the defensive game plan. The defensive game plan as a whole, to me, is a storyline. Because what's it going to be? Because I feel like there has to be some sort of an adjustment. There's got to be an adjustment from South Carolina. And again, you've had the bye week to figure things out, to go back and look at the film and evaluate what are we good at, what are we not, what mistakes did we make against uh, LSU defensively, what do we need to change. Again, I know we were all shocked and left scratching our heads after that LSU game, thinking, what was the defensive game plan? I mean, what were we doing? What was the goal? Because we all thought South Carolina would be aggressive, blitz the quarterback, trying to try to bring pressure on a young true freshman. And we didn't see it. And, and, I, and I still, I, I don't think we ever got an answer. I still don't know what the game plan was. What is the defensive game plan Saturday night for South Carolina? Because again, you're at home, taking on a top 10 team. You're nearly a double-digit underdog. I want to see a team play like their hair's on fire. I mean, it's, and especially defensively. Like, I just don't think you can come in this game. Again, Kellen Mond's a guy, he's a veteran. He's seen it all. 
There's not many things you're going to do defensively that is going to trick Kellen Mond or, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to do much defensively that's going, he's just going to be absolutely befuddled by. He's going to have no idea how to counteract that. So I don't think for South Carolina, I don't think you can just sit back and, oh, you know, we're just going to kind of adjust to what A&M does and, you know, you know, we'll make adjustments as we go. And, and it, it, you just can't do that. You cannot do that. Is South Carolina more aggressive this week defensively? Are they coming after the quarterback? Will, will we see more twists, more stunts, exotic blitzes? I just think you need to play like your hair is on fire defensively because, again, whatever you did against LSU, it didn't work. I, flat out, it didn't. And we saw the game plan against Auburn the week prior where you were very aggressive defensively. You were bringing blitzes. You were bringing pressure to Bo Nix. And, and what do you know? Look what happened. It worked. So, again, I give Kellen Mond a lot of credit because he is a veteran guy. He's played a lot of good football for Texas A&M. But he's also shown at times that – he will gladly put it in harm's way. You know, he is a guy that has been inconsistent over his Texas A&M career. Again, overall solid, but he has been inconsistent at times. And again, I think if you just let A&M go out there and run their offense, they got, they've got Jimbo Fisher, who's a great offensive mind. You know he's going to have a great game, game plan ready to go. If you just let A&M go out there and just run their offense, you're, you're not going to stand a chance. Because let's face it, the Gamecocks aren't winning this game 42-40. to 40. They're not doing it. They're not built to do so. So you're going to have to alter your defensive game plan. And I will just be intrigued to see, what did Muschamp and this staff learn over the bye week defensively? What will the game plan be? How much different will it look against Texas A&M? Because I fear if it's not, if you just try to, like I said, if you try to go out there and just let A&M do what they want to do and we'll make adjustments and you play this soft off coverage in the early downs and you are going to get eaten alive by this A&M offense. So I'll be intrigued to see what does Muschamp have up his sleeve for this game in regards to the defensive game plan. Another big storyline for me, and again, I, I know with COVID it's only 20%. You'll only have 20,000 Carolina fans um, in the building on Saturday night, but Protecting your home field to me, that, that, that to me stands out as a storyline because I talked about it with the Auburn game and I'll talk about it with this game as well. These are the type of games, these are the type of moments you have to take advantage of. I mean, everyone in that locker room, everyone in that program, every fan should feel disrespected right now because it is a slap in the face to have an opponent come in and be a basically a double-digit favorite on your turf. On your turf, a double-digit favorite. That is crazy. I know we all remember back to the days of South Carolina, 18 straight home wins, and it was a place opponents feared coming into. Now, a double-digit favorite. You're a home dog by double digits. Can South Carolina protect their home field? What type of atmosphere, what type of crowd do we get at Williams-Brice? Because I think it's been pretty solid from what I've heard. I haven't been in the stadium, haven't been to a game, and I'm going to try to go to either Mizzou or Georgia because I'd really like to see what it's like. But can the Gamecocks protect their home field? And what will the atmosphere be like? Again, I know the first half didn't go exactly how people wanted, for sure, no doubt. I I'm, I'm right there with you. But... A lot of opportunity in this second half. And you can really change the entire narrative of your season 
And if you can steal a win and get another big home upset against Texas A&M. So protecting your home field, can South Carolina do that on Saturday night? We shall see. Wrapping them up, my last storyline to get into, and then we'll get into key matchups to watch. My last storyline, though, how does USC bounce back off of the bye week and off of the LSU loss? I'm going to be very intrigued to see what type of energy, what type of emotion does South Carolina come out and play with um, against LSU, or excuse me, against Texas A&M. Because obviously, things against LSU went south very quickly. And I, I questioned at times, the Gamecocks got punched in the mouth. And it didn't feel like for a while they ever punched back. I mean, I know I know Kevin Harris had the long run for the touchdown, but you saw a team really get down, start to hang their heads. I'm not going to say they quit or anything like that, of course, but there might be times in this game of course, there, I, I almost guarantee you there will be, where Carolina's going to get punched in the mouth yet again. And I just wonder what type of tenacity, what type of energy, what type of emotion, because the thing, like I said before, that stood out to me most against Auburn, from that Auburn game, was the edge that our guys played with, was the edge that South Carolina's players seemed to have. They had that nastiness, that tenacity, that we're going to beat you today. We don't care what you think about it. We're going to beat you. We're going to impose our will on you. And again, Carolina has had a week off to stew over that LSU loss and had a week off to to heal and to prepare and to get ready. But again, more importantly, think about what happened in Baton Rouge. Like I said earlier, I want to see a team come out, play like their hair is on fire, play like they have nothing to lose. Again, you're at home. You're a double-digit underdog. Let it all hang out. Have some fun with it. Get creative. You know what I'm saying? Have some fun with it, though. Play with an edge. Play with that tenacity. You have nothing to lose. So how does South Carolina bounce back again with the bye week? I feel like nobody's talking about the Gamecocks have had an extra week to get ready for these guys. I'll be very interested, intrigued, and excited to see what type of South Carolina team comes out there Saturday night. Are they fired up? Are they energetic? Are they ready to go? Or are they not? And I think it will be the latter, but... I think that's going to have a lot to play in this game because South Carolina obviously desperately needs to start fast. Because if things start going south from the beginning, I fear it can slip away. It could slip away. And you know what? We could see another LSU happen. So how does USC bounce back off the bye week? I'll be looking for that. All right. Let's move into our key matchups to watch. Key matchups to watch. Presented to you by our friends over at Yardware. Guys, because today's show is brought to you by Yardware. Yardware is a veteran-owned and operating company licensed by the University of South Carolina selling must-have Carolina yard and wall signs. Guys, these things are awesome, by the way. These signs are made out of 12-gauge laser-cut steel, and they come in both garnet and black. Football season's in full swing. Christmas is right around the corner, guys. When you get these signs, by the way, the thing that stands out the most to me is the quality and the detail. And you guys have probably heard me say that before, but the quality and the detail on these things is impeccable. It's incredible. The logo, every little detail, the logo. And again, the quality, 12-gauge laser-cut steel. These things are like heavy. They're heavy duty. They're super nice. You can order yours today, yardwaresigns.com. That is yardwaresigns.com. Also, check them out on social media at Yardware. Again, guys, Christmas is right around the corner. Get one for yourself. If you're a Gamecock fan, this is the perfect gift for any South Carolina fan in your life. Oh, by the way, it's also not going to break the bank. It's only $34.95, guys. I think they should be charging more, but they're keeping it affordable, $34.95. And you can put this thing anywhere. You can put the sign in your yard. 
I've got mine in my studio. You can put it in your office, your man cave, your garage, your living room, dining room, bedroom, wherever. It is an awesome piece that, again, all Gamecock fans need to have. No Gamecock fan, I promise you, guarantee you, if you gift this to a Gamecock fan, they are going to absolutely love it. There is no question about it. So, again, Order yours today at yardwaresigns.com. That is yardwaresigns.com. Also, check them out on social media at yardware, at yardwaresigns. Again, that's yardwaresigns.com to order your sign today. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. All right, let's dive in these key matchups to watch. We're going to start on the defensive side for South Carolina. I'm going with linebacker Ernest Jones against running back Isaiah Spiller. Guys, no surprise here. South Carolina is going to have to limit the running game if they want to have any chance in this football game, and it's going to start with Ernest Jones, your guy near the top of the SEC in tackles. Isaiah Spiller, I talked about a little bit earlier, he's averaging six yards per carry right now. They love going to him. He's an elite back. He's a lot of fun to watch, to be honest with you. But Ernest Jones, what he's done this season, again, he was leading the SEC in tackles before South kind of had the bye week, but he's having a phenomenal year. Truly the leader of that defense. Ernest Jones will need to have one of his better games this season because, again, if a and able to get the running game going, if they're able to run the football like we saw LSU do, I fear South Carolina has no chance in this football game. So again, Ernest Jones against Isaiah Spiller. Ernest Jones needing to have, in my opinion, one of his better games of the season if South Carolina is going to counter that Aggie running attack. Let's move to the offensive side for South Carolina. Running back Kevin Harris against linebacker Buddy Johnson. Johnson led a and in tackles a year ago, by the way, guys. Um, I'm trying to see. I think he had almost 100 tackles. No, 77. So he had 77 total tackles. 54 tackles right now at the halfway point. So Buddy Johnson is a legit player. He's right. I think uh, I think Ernest Jones has like 55 or 56 tackles. Buddy Johnson is right there behind him at 54. So he literally is like the, the Ernest Jones of their defense. And we all know what Kevin Harris brings to the table. We all know the type of season he's had. And this South kind of offense still, in my opinion, it goes through Kevin Harris. It starts with Kevin Harris. I expect Kevin to have a big game, have one of those games. I, you know, again, the best running back in the SEC that you've never heard of. That's my favorite way to describe him. He is so vastly underrated. But South Carolina going to have to have the running game Saturday night. You got to take the pressure off of Colin Hill. We all know the limitations of this offense on the outside. You have to be able to run the football. Kevin Harris, a guy, again, very much north-south, put, put his shoulder in your chest. But you got to make a guy miss. Buddy Johnson's going to be that guy. He's going to have to make miss. So, again, running back Kevin Harris against linebacker Buddy Johnson. Again, the running games going up against each other. The battle of the running games, I think, will be so pivotal in this football game. Lastly, my last key matchup to watch, defensive back Israel Mukwamu against tight end Jalen Watermeyer. And I believe that's how you say his name, Watermeyer. Yeah. Defensive back Israel Mukwamu against tight end Jalen Watermeyer. Watermeyer. I don't know what it is, by the way. South Carolina, it feels like every single team they play has a great running back and a huge tight end. Like, everybody's just got a big tight end. This guy is very similar to Kyle Pitts, 6'5", 260. He had two touchdowns last week against Arkansas. And you take a look at what he did last year as a true freshman, had six touchdowns for A&M. He led them in touchdowns a year ago. Again, he's already got two this year, had two against Arkansas Israel McQuamu, you figure, is going to be the guy in this matchup. Again, Izzy, six foot four, very long, very tall. Can he keep up with Jalen Widermeyer? Because I was watching film again on AM. This is Kellen Mond's favorite target. There's no question. I mean, they have other capable guys on the outside. Do not get me wrong. They've got other pretty good pass catchers. Um, you think guys like 
uh, Smith, Chase Lane, Caleb Chapman, Jalen Preston. They've got other solid options on the outside, there's no question. But Weidermeyer, especially in those third-down scenarios, especially in like those third and sixes, third and sevens, I see Kellen Mond going to him a lot. And again, I think with the size matchup, I think Izzy, you're going to need to put him on him. I think it is a good matchup for Izzy, and it should be one that is really, really fun to watch all night long. So again, Ishmael Kwamu on Jalen Watermeyer, that's going to be a key matchup, a pivotal matchup, especially for a South Carolina defense that's got to find a way to get off of the field on third down because that was something that killed you against LSU. So again, my favorite matchup to watch, linebacker Ernest Jones against running back Isaiah Spiller, running back Kevin Harris against linebacker Buddy Johnson, and lastly, defensive back Israel Mukwamu against tight end Jalen Widermeyer. Let's jump into my keys to the game. What's South going to got to do to beat Texas A&M? Let's start on it. First things first for me, the way this team is built, like I said earlier, I, I don't see South going to winning a shootout. I don't see them winning a 42-40 a to 40 game. A&M on their side of things offensively, They've got a lot of talent. This team as a whole for AM has a lot of talent. But you look at Jimbo Fisher, you've got a veteran quarterback in Kellen Mond, and you've got a really, really explosive running back in Isaiah Spiller. That is normally a key to success. That is the recipe for success for any offense. How do you limit this Texas AM offense? Well, keeping them off the field is a great start. Winning time of possession to me, my first key to the game is win time of possession because you saw last week what it's like when you don't. The South Carolina defense got gassed. Gamecocks can never really get anything going offensively after that, and it just leads to a world of trouble. This is a football team, in my opinion, South Carolina, that is built to establish the run, run the football, have long drives, keep the other team's offense off the field, and win the football game that way. So, again, if South Carolina is going to win this game, they're going to have to win time of possession. Just bottom line, they're going to have to win the time of possession against Texas A&M and keep that A&M offense off of the field. So again, winning time of possession, my first key to the game. My second key to the game, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show when I was talking about Ernest Jones and the A&M running game, but execute the fundamentals. South Carolina, what do you work on over the bye week, right? You work on yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror. You work on the fundamentals, tackling, pass catching, blocking. The fundamentals of the game, that is what you spend your time focusing on. South Carolina, to pull this home upset, double-digit dog, a top-10 opponent, you've got to be damn near flawless in the fundamentals. You've got to be flawless. And I'm thinking specifically on the defensive side and tackling. I'm thinking specifically on that defensive side because we've seen South Carolina get sloppy at times in tackling a lot of times. Let's be honest. We've seen it a lot this season. South Carolina stands no chance in this football game if it cannot do the little things right, if it cannot execute the fundamentals. And when you're trying to pull off a big-time upset, when you're trying to pull off an upset like this, you, you simply do have to be flawless in the fundamentals. So, again, the simple things blocking, tackling, catching, literally the basics of the game, South Carolina is going to have to be flawless. So again, my second key to the game, execute the fundamentals. And my final key to the game, and I sort of, again, mentioned this earlier, when I talked about protecting your home field, what type of energy, what type of emotion does South Carolina come out with? My final key to the game, embrace being the home underdog. You know what? Nobody thinks you're going to win this game. Most people at least don't think you're going to win this game, especially outside of Gamecock circles. Even your own fan base doesn't think you're going to win this game, pretty much from what I've seen. Everybody against you, world's against you. Embrace it. 
Live in it. There's opportunity here. You have the chance to be the top 10 team at home. Play like your hair is on fire. Play like you got nothing to lose. Let it all hang out and see where the chips fall. There's You gain nothing going into this football game being timid, being scared, being passive. No, no, no. A&M has everything to lose. You have nothing to lose. Absolutely nothing. Embrace being the home dog. Play with that chip on your shoulder. And take it to A&M, and like I said, let the chips fall where they may. Just see what happens. Leave it all out on the field. So, again, my key is the game. Win time of possession. Execute the fundamentals and embrace being the home underdog. So, guys, that is my breakdown. South Carolina taking on Texas A&M Saturday night. Very, very excited. I know Willie B will be packed to the brim with the 20%. And you guys in there will be loud, rowdy, have it rocking, but very, very excited. Hey, all you can ask for, all you can ask for in life is the opportunity to be presented to you. That's all you can ask for is to have that opportunity presented to you. It's right there again. You got the seventh-ranked team in the country coming into town. It's there for the taking. Can South Carolina take advantage yet again? We saw them do it the last time they were at home. Beat Auburn. Can they do it yet again and get the second half of this 2020 season kicked off on a high note? So, again, should be a lot of fun. Going to be really exciting. Let's dive into one thing really quickly as far as news and notes are concerned. Ryan Helinski. Players spoke to the media on Wednesday. Ryan Helinski speaking to the media, and he was asked about if he considered transferring, if it had ever crossed his mind. His quote was simply, quote, that never crossed my mind. So at least Ryan publicly is coming out and saying, you know, he's not going to transfer. He, he likes being at South Carolina, whatever. I wonder, I'll be very interested and intrigued to follow this throughout the rest of the season. Because, again, of course he's going to come out and say that. No question. But it felt good, I guess, to hear him say that because I I don't want to see Ryan go. I don't think anybody wants to see Ryan go. But to hear him speak out on that. But I wonder how that changes. Because if Colin Hill, like I said before, if, if he plays decently well and he doesn't get injured and he holds on to the job like I think he probably will, I mean, you got to think for the kid. He doesn't want to sit on his butt on the sideline for the rest of his college football career. So what is he going to do? That's going to be a very, very interesting storyline to follow as we go go throughout the rest of this 2020 football season. So, guys, let's go ahead and dive into now your listener questions and voicemails. We actually do have two voicemails and a ton of questions to get into as well. So we will go ahead and jump into it. What's up, Chris? Um, Hopefully – you and everybody listening had a wonderful uh, weekend. Uh, I had a pretty good weekend myself, except seeing my except seeing my Titans lose. I don't know how we lost, but hey, hopefully we'll uh, move on. Um, I, was, I was calling uh, just to talk about the quarterback situation for Thursday show. I know uh, a lot of people want Haliski, Dodie, and I honestly I do too. Because um, if you think about it, I mean, coming into last week's game this week, I was kind of you know. I mean, Helensky and Hill are kind of the same at this point. No matter who you put in, it's going, it's going to be the same kind of deal. But uh, I think you need to start looking for the future. I mean, this season pretty much is going to be a wash. Hill is probably going to be here for the rest of this year and maybe next year. I'm not sure about that. But if you're going to get the same production from Hill out of Helensky and Doty, why not go ahead and put Helensky and Doty in? 
that's your future. And only the only thing that can happen to them is that they get better and they can, they can improve as far as the future goes on. Now, will they improve on a much champ? Probably most likely not, but it's still important for them. That's just the ability also to get reps so they can be prepared for the future. Because right now, I mean, you're looking, <clears throat> by the way the schedule looking, you're looking into a, a three, maybe four win season. Because after the showing against LSU, I just don't know where the wins come from after this point. So, I mean, right now, I think it's just you just want to go ahead and Go ahead, just go ahead and put Holinsky in, Doty in, let them get some, let them go ahead and take the offense, let them get started because right now, I mean, you're not going to be losing any production with the place in Colin Hill. Like you said, he's in a steady eddy all season, but that's all he's going to be. He's not, he's not going to be more than else. So you don't really say you're going to win more games if you have Hill in. So I think, I think it's best just to go ahead and sit him down, let Holinsky come in and Doty, let them, have a either two QB system or you have Doty come in and do some trick plays and stuff now and then because Doty and especially Joyner they're just too explosive play of players to be on the bench in the whole game that just doesn't make sense so that's all I want to talk about again hopefully everybody has a great week leading up to this weekend hopefully we can get a dub against a and go cop all right appreciate the voicemail man so there's a lot to unpack there but I- I'm really honestly glad this call came in because it, it leads me to a point that I really, really want to make. So, talking about the quarterback situation, and again, it's it's a lot of fun, right, to talk about that and expand on it and say, this guy should be playing, that guy should be playing. I want to say this. I hear you and understand where you and other fans are coming from, saying, this season's a wash, and we should be playing for the future. Like, Ryan and Doty are the ones that are going to be here after this season. They are the future. We should be playing them. Here, and again, it's, it's, I understand where you're coming from, but let me explain to you why that logic is flawed. Do you think anybody in that building, in that program, is looking at this season saying, oh, this season is a wash? Just, just think about that now. You think Will Muschamp is addressing his team this week ahead of this game saying, ah, no worries, guys, if we lose, you know, season's a wash anyways. Do you think that's how they're approaching it? So what I'm trying to say is it's easy for us as fans to say that on the outside, correct? It is. But I can guarantee you in the building, nobody is saying that. And here's another thing, too. You make a point or that you say in your voicemail. You say that, well, if you're going to get the same production out of Ryan Helensky and Luke Doty anyways, you might as well put them in. Well, you're making the assumption that you are going to get the same production out of those guys. You don't know that for a fact. We, we don't know that. You're assuming that. And again, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm just, I'm, I'm poking holes in your logic. So I, I apologize if, whatever. <laughs> just deal with it. Anyways, but people are just assuming that you're going to get the same production out of Ryan and Luke. Here's the thing. I've been very, very critical of Will Muschamp. There's no question. My my thoughts on Will Muschamp are very well documented. However, I don't think Will Muschamp sits in his meeting rooms and sits with his his assistant coaches and says, okay, let's just play the guy that's not the best player. Like, I think they're putting Colin Hill out there because they truly, genuinely believe he is the best player. Like, they wouldn't just throw him out there to do it. The best players play. 
Bottom line. I mean, I would think so. I mean, God, if we're not putting the best players out there to play, we have a whole nother issue. Whole other issue. But I mean, I've heard from people that were at scrimmages, were at practices this fall, that know much more about the game of football than you and I, that let's just say played the quarterback position, that told me Colin Hill is a full letter grade better than Ryan Helensky. That's no personal anything. That's, hey, whatever. That's just a take on their skill sets. And I'll tell you this. I was having this conversation with my buddy last night. I just don't think people realize how bad we could be offensively. I, I really, really don't. Because, for example, let's say Luke Doty. Do people really think we're going to improve offensively putting a true freshman quarterback, throwing him in the fire with nobody to throw it to. Basically nobody. Because defenses are going to take away Shai Smith. I mean, I, I hate to say this, and if you want to disagree with me, that's totally fine. Bro, I mean, listen, I had extremely low expectations of the offense coming in. I, I thought they'd score 20 points per game. I, I thought it was going to be brutal. I thought it was going to be abysmal to watch. So they have by far exceeded my expectations. But guys, again, you can argue me this till you're blue in the face. And I'd love to have this banter and this debate. I think what you're seeing from this South kind of offense, I honestly genuinely think that's as good as it's going to get. I, I, I do not think this offense, I think this is the peak. What you've seen through five games, it has been the peak. And again, I'm just pointing holes in your logic for fun and really to play some devil's advocate, but you assume that the production would be the same with Holinsky and Doty. But I'm telling you guys right now, if that were the case, if Ryan Holinsky was just as good, if not better than Colin, he'd be playing. I mean, there's just, there's no, there's no debating that. He'd be playing. So, again, I, I'm not coming at you. Obviously, man, I appreciate the voicemail. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. But I guess that's my biggest thing in my thought process. And people talk about the quarterback position. It's like, I think people kind of take for granted how bad we are around Colin Hill. I mean, listen, Kevin Harris has been phenomenal. Deshaun Fenwick even I've really liked. But just on the outside in the passing game, you don't think Ryan Helensky would struggle too? I think Ryan would struggle mightily. In this offense. I don't think the sack numbers would be much better either. And then again, Luke Doty. I want to see Luke Doty play more. There's no question. I want to see Luke Doty play more. But you're asking a true freshman. What happens when the defense keys in on the running game? And, and you got to put it on Luke Doty's shoulder. Who's he going to throw the ball to? So, I know it hurts to hear it. It hurts to say it. I think this is as good as the offense can get. I, like, I, don't, I don't think the offense honestly can get much better. I think we've damn near hit our peak. I mean, we're scoring basically 30 points per game. I would have laughed in your face in the preseason if you told me we were going to score 30 points per game. So maybe we'll get to the point this season where South Carolina will make a quarterback change. And we will get to see. And maybe I'll be completely wrong and Ryan Linsky will go out there and light it up or Luke Doty will go out there and light it up and we'll turn the season around and whatever. You know what I mean? But... I think it's just 
and I said this before too, if our backup quarterback's name was anybody, if it was anything other than Ryan Holinsky, I don't think Colin Hill will be catching nearly as much heat. I, I really don't. Because it's crazy to me, even, even the LSU game where he didn't play that well. Guys, LSU scored 52. 38 offensively, if you want to take away the, 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 the kickoff return and the pick six. They scored 38 offensively. They punted zero times. Colin Hill don't play DB, man. He don't play defensive line. Luke Doty doesn't play defensive line or defensive back. Nor does Ryan Helinski. They play quarterback. What's the issue? Again, I, I, I relate with fans and I hear what fans are saying because I think the biggest thing with Gamecock fans... If, they're, if we're going to lose, they'd rather lose with their own. And, and I totally, 110%, understand that thought process. And I, I, I relate to it in a sense, but I'm just telling you guys from the football side of things, I think if Ryan Helinski or Luke Doty were the better option, they'd be out there. And I don't think, let's say, for example, if Ryan got the start on Saturday, I don't think it would change anything with the offense or the outcome of the game. I, I simply don't think so. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. But again, I appreciate you calling, leaving that voicemail in and starting that uh, that banter, if you will, because it is a very interesting conversation. It, it, it's always polarizing to talk about the quarterback position, especially when you're talking about the backup quarterback. So it's fun to talk about, but I'm glad you brought that up. All right, let's get in this last voicemail, and then we'll get into your listener questions. Hey, this is Tom, and I just think that we're going to beat A&M and then go the rest of the season losing game after game because it's the most disappointing outcome. And with Muschamp, the one thing that's consistent is disappointment because it'll show us hope that our team is good enough and then just get dashed across the floor because we're just going to prepare for this game like there's no tomorrow and then not prepare for any other game the rest of the season. I hope we can get him out, but I don't trust Ray Tanner to make the next hire, so we'll see what happens. I don't know what to think anymore. I uh, love the show. Keep it up, and have a good one. Tom, I appreciate the voicemail and appreciate you calling in. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the sound of a broken Gamecock fan. <laughs> that right there is the Will Muschamp effect at its absolute finest. That That's what happens when Will Muschamp has coached your football team for too long. Um, hey, I think a lot of South Carolina fans listening in right now, Tom, can probably relate to you, and they empathize with you, and they sympathize with you and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully uh, – I don't know, man. Hopefully this South Carolina team doesn't doesn't let you down too many more times this year. But kind of like you said, it, seems, <laughs> it kind of feels inevitable with Gamecock football as far as the inconsistencies and the disappointment. But uh, I don't know. Hey, hopefully. You never know. That's why they play the game. So, all right, let's get in your listener questions really quick. Hamaza022, what adjustments do we make on defense to beat AM? I think you've got to be aggressive. I think you've got to get after Kellen Mond. More of what you saw in the Auburn game and less of what you saw in the LSU game. Again, I don't know if you, you just bring the house like you did against Auburn. Uh, because I think you know A&M has more to offer, and they're a better offense than Auburn was. But you're going to have to be aggressive, man. Like I said earlier, I don't, I don't see a scenario in which you can just kind of sit back and adjust to what A&M's doing and let them dictate the tempo of the game and the flow of the game. you got to make some plays. you got to make some things happen. Again, 
we all know if you're going to pull a big-time upset, top 10 team, top 10 opponent, you got to force some turnovers. You, you got to force some turnovers. So being aggressive, that's what I'm expecting from this South Carolina defense. And at least that's what I think they should do. Now, what will they do? We will see. But I think you need to be aggressive defensively. Um, let's see. J.K. Gill, J.K. Gill, 34. I think they let a higher percentage fan at baseball over basketball due to being outside. Um, certainly a possibility. You know, obviously it came out this week. They're only letting 3,500 fans in Colonial Life for basketball season, which, again, is 20% capacity. And, I mean, it's kind of what we expected. But uh, I don't know, man. I hope so. I, I'm just hoping and praying I can go to baseball games. That, that is That is – 110%. I just let me go to baseball games. Please, please let me go. Um, Saltwater Swag, do you think if we had number two and number three wide receiver that didn't opt out, our offense would be way better? I mean, if yeah, if this offense had a number two and number three wide receiver, it would be way better. There, there's no question. Yeah, 100, 100%. <laughs> so, um, Austin G underscore 45, what is our most likely way to win against A&M? Well, again, I listed my keys to the game, win time, possession, execute the fundamentals, embrace being the home dog, but you know, you got to win the turnover battle. That's a given. And I think for South Carolina, you know, don't look at the ranking either. Like, don't don't let that, oh, my God, we're playing the seventh ranked team in the country. Who gives a damn, bro? They're Texas A&M. I don't think the ranking means anything. You've been close to beating them before. It's not like it's this unbeatable opponent. You know what I'm saying? You're not playing the logo. You're playing the team on the field. South Carolina, though, I want to see them be true to themselves in regards to their identity. Be aggressive on defense, number one. But offensively, stay within yourself. Run the football. Establish the run. Be stingy in the running game and let the run open up the pass. We saw South Carolina. I mean, you got down so much you had to. But when the Gamecocks get outside of their comfort zone and have to do things they don't traditionally do, don't normally do, at least in this season, and we saw it against LSU, it's just not going to go very well. Um, so, again, you do that and you win the tournament battle, I think you do have a chance in this one. Uh, let's see. Thomas underscore Brady underscore H. He had two questions. Says thoughts on T-Rob. Used to like him, but after watching his game planning, I'm not a fan. I've said this before. Has anyone's stock fallen faster than Javaris Robinson's has in like the last couple years? I mean, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there'll ever be a change because Muschamp and T-Rob are literally like best friends. But again, I, I don't know. I know he's a good recruiter, but I just simply – I don't know what the disconnect is defensively between Muschamp, T-Rob, and those players. I have no idea because I think there's talent. I think we all think there's talent on that side of the ball, but there's a disconnect. There's no other way to put it. Um, he also asks or says, we beat A&M, then lose the rest. That's the most disappointing outcome. Fake hope again. <laughs> Thomas, again, you sound like a fan that is uh, a beaten, bruised, and battered Carolina fan, but uh, – who knows, man? To win this A&M game would be big, but of course, like you said, you've got to build off of it. You have to find a way to build off of it. Uh, last question, Chris Warrell. Who should we put in that isn't starting on defense that could give us a spark? Well, I, I think you need to start both Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch, especially starting Jordan Birch, dude. Like, he's your five-star kid. He's your prize recruit. Let him eat. Let him eat. Let him loose. Why not? Get him on the outside. Get him after Kellen Mond. Let him make a big play. That that Having a young guy do that, I think, could spark your defense. So I would probably say, number one, Jordan Birch. Get Jordan, Bur Jer Ugh. Get Jordan Birch more reps. I think that could be big for your football team. And again, bring that energy. Bring that spark. Maybe you didn't have before on the defensive side of the ball. So appreciate the questions. Appreciate the voicemails. Guys, always appreciate you all being interactive. Now, I'm very, very excited because we got a phenomenal interview today on the show. TJ Shook, former Gamecocks right-handed pitcher, actually came by the studio, 
awesome conversation sitting down with him. And you, as you guys know, whenever we're in the studio, the conversations flow. They're very organic. And I had a blast. Really appreciate TJ taking his time. But again, Gamecock's right-handed pitcher obviously was a major part of South Carolina staff over the last three seasons for South Carolina baseball. Was phenomenal talking to him. Great young kid, by the way. Great dude. Has a bright future ahead of him for sure. But we really dive into everything regarding his career, Carolina baseball, his pro career. An awesome conversation. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Southern Oaks Remodeling. Guys, Southern Oaks Remodeling, locally and family-owned, over 15 years of experience. They specialize in roofing, windows, doors, siding, and additions, and they're serving the greater Columbia area. Guys, I talked about service earlier with the other companies with Upstate Movers Group. Service truly is what separates Southern Oaks Remodeling from the rest as well. I've had the privilege of meeting them, talking with their people, meeting the CEO, meeting everyone in that business. They take care of their people. They put their people first. And listen, when you're doing a remodeling job, you're having somebody in your house or you're working on a project, there's going to be a lot of follow-ups. You're going to build a relationship with that person. Southern Oaks Remodeling goes out of their way to make sure you feel comfortable in the process and they are going to take care of you. Again, if you're in the greater Columbia area, they are locally family-owned. And that's the thing that jumped out to me is you can really feel that whenever you're doing business with them. Because again, I say this all the time. People don't spend money with businesses. They don't invest in businesses. They invest and spend money with people. And people's what makes the difference with Southern Oaks Remodeling. Again, over 15 years of experience. Whatever project it is, we're in the holiday season. Why not knock it out right now? Roofing, windows, doors, siding, additions, any project, any remodeling project you may have, Southern Oaks will take care of you. They're the way to go. Again, the serving the greater Columbia area. If you're in the area, be sure to give them a call. Check them out. That's Southern Oaks Remodeling. Again, Southern Oaks Remodeling. Check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks right-handed pitcher T.J. Shook. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up Show is a man that pitched for Gamecocks baseball from 2016 to 2020. During his career, he went 6-1 and one overall, had a 3.04 ERA, 74 total innings pitch for the Gamecocks with 92 strikeouts. He also has his own brand, 3-up, three 3-down, three as he's rocking right here, as you see in the video, and was signed by the Milwaukee Brewers as of recently, as of this spring. Very pleased to have in the stew, TJ Shook, former Gamecocks Randy Pitcher. What's up, man? How Appreciate you, you coming by. Doing nice well, doing well. You. Glad to have you, man. Glad to have you. Obviously, local kid, and I want to start there. You were from Columbia, went to Dutch Fork High School, and uh, you know we were just talking off air about when you got to Carolina and Chad Holbrook being there. But just talk about – the recruiting process for you, obviously, I know you were one of the top guys in the state when you came out. So what, what it came down to, why you chose the Gamecocks, and just what the recruiting process was like overall. Yeah, so my senior year, I didn't really – well, actually, my junior year. I hit and pitched in high school. Mm-hmm. So I went to Diamond Prospect events trying to get recruited, whatever. And I started doing well. started hitting upper 80s, getting looked at by a bunch of other uh, colleges. And USC wasn't really showing that much interest. But I thought it was kind of funny because – Monty Lee contacted me and was like, mm. wanted to want me to come uh, visit Clemson. Right. One week, like after this, uh, I think it was uh, Palmetto Games, Diamond Prospect Palmetto Games. And I was supposed to go visit Clemson the next weekend. And then so I guess somehow South Carolina found out about it. And they <laughs> wanted you're to right in their visit. backyard. I mean, they literally. Didn't... So they wanted me to come visit the next day. Mm. And I, ta- I walked around with Myers. He showed me everything, the campus. And it was just like, like it was there. Like I, I wanted to go there. I grew up a Gamecock baseball fan. Right. Uh, it was just like my dream school. I just was waiting on them to show a little bit of 
effort. Right. Yeah, I was so, going to ask. I mean, growing up locally, you, I, I feel like the ties had to be there as far as like being a Gamecock fan. Like I said, if nothing else, a Carolina baseball fan. Like, oh, with, yeah. I certainly. mean, because you were literally growing up watching Christian Walker and Jackie Bradley, Michael, and like just those college World Series teams. So like, I'm, I'm sure it was like as soon as you get the offer, it just – I would assume it felt like a no-brainer. I mean – Yeah, it really was, honestly. But me and my dad would always go to the games. <laughs> we, we would always go. I'd probably go – I don't know. I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. I was a little kid like dreaming of going to the school. And then once I had the opportunity presented to me, I was like, I couldn't turn it down. Mm. Like no matter what. So it was who, who were some of the, you said Clemson. I mean, do you get a lot of SEC interest, like ACC interest? Like what, what was the, cause people like, it's, it's crazy, man. Like you think of recruiting and baseball, it starts so early. I mean, yeah. so you're literally, they're offering kids that are freshmen in high school and, mm -hmm. you know, projecting guys like that. So, I mean, what, I mean, I, I assume you had a laundry list of offers for your, your services, obviously. Cause I mean, you had a good career. So honestly, I didn't really <laughs> No, So, I only had three offers at the time. Um, one was from uh, SMC. One mm -hmm. was from Francis Marion. And then South Carolina was literally my third offer. So I didn't really do well until my junior year. So I was kind of a late bloomer, as right, you say. Right. And literally nothing really happened until South Carolina showed some interest. And then, mm -hmm. well, Clemson first and then South Carolina. Right. So it was literally just between those two right off the bat. And I was like, all right, well, I definitely want to stay home, be near my parents want them to come see me and see all my friends. So mm. I wanted to stay in state. So. Did, did you want to be a two-way in college or were you set on like, I'm going to be a pitcher? Like, it's like, I mean, I know like I was a pitcher as well and pitchers yeah. love to tell how great of hitters they were in high school and all that. And it's like, Hey coach, let me get some BP. But yeah. I mean, did you, did you want to go two-way? Did you know you were set to pitch? Like what was the, so the I actually there? did want to go two-way. I was, I, I was kind of supposed to, but then I came in with like a kind of, a, they always tell you that. Yeah. Like that. I came in with like a minor <laughs> back injury. Right. So, I kind of came down or came in, in the, at the uh, bottom of the totem pole, which didn't really help my case, but couldn't help it. I was hurt. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to two-way, play a little bit of outfield. Honestly, there was just too many veteran guys, mm -hmm. like for me to even sniff the field. So I kind of just fell right into a PO spot immediately. And that's just kind of how it worked out. Right. So, I mean, I was a better hitter in high school <laughs> than I was pitcher. Really? And it was actually crazy, so – and then I just had I had a back brace, um, right? And you, you mentioned the year. injury because I was like I said we were talking off air and taking a look, taking a look. I didn't even realize that you got to Carolina fall of sixteen and you redshirted seventeen. So mm -hmm. I, obviously I would assume the injury played a major part in you getting the redshirt or whatever. But I, I think it's good you come in, you sit back and kind of watch and learn, observe. But what what a year it was that you got to sit back and watch and learn. But before we get into that, just talk about again. You came in under Chad Holbrook. Uh, obviously what he did. I mean he was on the staff when South Carolina won the back to back titles, and I mean his his reputation speaks for itself obviously doing great things now at uh college of charleston but just talk about you talked about jerry myers you talked about you know different guys on that staff but the relationship with chad holbrook what was what was that like yeah i mean it was good um i think he was a great coach i never really got to experience how great he was because mm -hmm. i so i redshirted after the fall gotcha. so i never really got to go through a season with him um and once you get redshirted it was some weird rule uh sec rule where it was like i couldn't do anything like with the team so I couldn't go to like team practice. I'd have to, I would be in the weight room while they would be on the field. And it was like me and a couple other guys, we would just train, work out basically five days a week, just trying to get big, strong, and better, honestly, because right, right. we're kind of behind. Um, no, yeah, I never really got to experience the full Holbrook coaching right. methods. No, nah, for sure. I wish I kind of could have, but I would hear a bunch of guys talk about it. I mean, it was Right. It was good. Right. So what so were you able to go to games like that 17 season or no? Yeah. So yeah. it was actually me and Jake Wright. We would go 
we would sneak in through the weight room and <laughs> right, then right. sit right behind home plate. We talked to Pete Stokes, who sat behind the plate. Uh, he would sneak kinda... into the stadium that you're a player at. That yeah, seems kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely didn't have to buy tickets. Right, right, right. No, but, for sure. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. So talk about the, that 17 season. I mean, again, I've had guys that were on that team that played. And obviously, I mean, the 17 season, I felt I feel like was very similar to like the 19 season you were a part of where injuries just derailed it early. And it felt like every weekend it's coming down to Sunday and you're losing in some heartbreaking fashion. I mean, it obviously takes a toll on you. But first, we'll talk 17. And, you know, again, you were watching from the sidelines. But I mean, just did you even ever envision like that would be your first year as a count baseball player of like that? that I mean, the rough years, no other way to put it. Yeah. Like, it was a very, very rough season. Just, just talk about experiencing that from the sidelines, I guess. No, yeah, I say, honestly, it was a really big year for me personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the team might have not done as well, mm-hmm. but just watching like how people do their business, like you see guys like Will Crow, Clark Schmidt, Tyler Johnson, great talent on that team. No question, there was honestly one of the tons best of teams. talent on that team. Yeah, <laughs> one of the best teams I've ever been a part of. Um, I mean, obviously, Smith had Tommy John. But just watching those guys go about their business, doing their work every day, it was just, it was really learned, like a learning experience for me. And I took in as much as I could and just kind of applied that to my routine. Like I just, I always like just kind of learned from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And just watching them, it was just a really big year for me. Like that mm-hmm. whole red shirt year was just huge. Yeah. Probably <laughs> like self development, right? As far yeah. as like mentally, physically, everything. It, it's crazy. You talk about that 17 team too. I mean, you look at that team, two of those guys have been in the big leagues, and the other one is Adam Hill, which is yeah, you know, obviously Adam with too. you and your organization with the Brewers. And he's still with Milwaukee, right? Is he still he's with- actually – I think he, he he's with the Mariners. Oh, Mariners. That, yeah. that is right. He was, he, with, he was with Milwaukee. But either mm-hmm. way, all three of that starting rotation oh, yeah. are professional players. I mean, yes. that's, and two of them are in the big leagues. Um, so, 17, obviously, Chad Holbrook steps down or gets let go, whatever, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um Talk about where you were at mentally. I mean, did, did, did transferring ever come up? I mean, obviously you wanted to be at South Carolina, so I'm sure it didn't matter. But I know that's there's got to be some uneasiness when, I mean, again, you come in, your entire staff is gone. And um, obviously Jerry Myers steps down late, and I think late in 17 due to health issues and stuff like that, wanting to get away from the game. But mm-hmm. Holbrook steps down, Kingston's hired. I mean, what was that like for you? Again, you're a guy, you haven't even stepped on the field yet and really show what you can provide and offer. And I'm sure that was there was some level of uneasiness going, you know, to a new head coach. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I looked at it as a new opportunity because mm-hmm. I kind of came in at the bottom and then that really, that year was huge for me. So I kind of worked my way up a little bit. So I had a really positive mindset on this new coach, like making a good impression when he first got here. I didn't know who it was going to be at the time until they announced it was uh, Kingston, but I don't know. I just saw, I guess, an opportunity to do well and to meet the new coach mm-hmm. and I tried to make the best of it. So I don't know. I mean, Transition was easy for you. Yeah, it was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. I never really had right, an right. issue wanting to to transfer. Like right, I right. wanted to be at South Carolina. Uh, it's a great school, great facilities. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing that I would want to change. Right. What What were those first interactions like with Kingston? Because obviously there was a mentality shift. I mean, things changed. I mean, I've I've talked to like the, the guy that always pops in my head and more on the hitting side of things, but like Stokesy. I'll just tell you, he's like I'm. I don't know what happened, but Kingston straight up revitalized his career that final year. So like there was obviously a philosophical shift, but overall, like that first meeting, getting to know Kingston, like, like, what was that? What was that like? It's obviously we, we know now going, you know, going to 2021 is fourth year at Carolina, but yeah. that those first interactions, what was that like with, uh, Kingston? no, yeah. I think the, uh, the first time I met him was in the locker room. He came in and like introduced himself. I think it was like one of the first days he got there and I just shook his hand, said, what's up? I'm TJ. Um, 
he introduced himself. Um, that first week, I think we had a meeting and it was just like an immediate change. Like he was, he was really disciplined, really like on schedule. And I think that's good because you need that. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he kind of just turned the program around, um, with Holbrook. It wasn't as disciplined. It was kind of right. laid back. It wasn't, uh, like this, 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 it was, um, almost player led. Right. But with Kingston, it was literally like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Um, we're going to do this. He like, he was very professional about it, like with everything. Right. So it was, it was a nice change. How about Skylar Mead? I'm, I'm curious here. Cause I think he's one of the, uh, a guy that we don't talk about enough is like a, a guy, young up and coming coach. Like he obviously was at Michigan state. Now he's at mm-hmm. Carolina. Like, well, like what's, I guess without, you know, spoiling anything, like what, what's his philosophy as far as pitchers are concerned? Cause I remember there was talk, like, I think going into last, this past season about, you know, are, is South Carolina going to have openers and like do kind of what the Tampa Bay Rays did at one point? I, I was like, I don't think so, but <laughs> I, I know, I know Mead, you know, each pitching coach kind of has their nuances and ways they go about things like Jerry Myers and Skylar Mead are obviously different people. So like, mm-hmm. what was it like being a pitcher under him, your time there, like his philosophies, the way he kind of went about things? No. Yeah. I loved everything that he brought. Um, he was, I never really did a lot of weighted balls or, mm-hmm. I mean, I did bands and stuff in high school. But him implementing some uh, weighted balls each day for practice, like we do a lot of external throws, a lot of like pivot picks, um, just that whole kind of philosophy, like maybe the driveline philosophy, you can say, mm-hmm. uh, implementing that kind of this new age right. uh, use of technology. And yeah, because they're, they're, they're very analytical, like they're very into the numbers. And I mean, you go to like the scrimmages and stuff and you're seeing like the spin rate and mm-hmm. the you know, the V and I know, I know you guys love it. Like the players love it, but it, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I made myself sound old. Like, when I played, we didn't have that. Like we didn't yeah. have the track man and like all that. But I mean, I, I talked to Kyle Peterson who's done mm-hmm. college world series and I talked to the D one baseball guys. And I think everybody kind of agrees. You need a mix of both as mm-hmm. far as you need to have the numbers side and the analytics and stuff, but you also got to be a coach. I think you got to know when to go with your gut and trust the, you know, 100%. trust yeah. your decision-making and stuff like that. So, and I know, I know me, you know, uh, Mead and Kingston, they definitely use that to their advantage as far as the numbers and analytics. I know launch angle, like you hear launch yeah. angle over and over again. I know Kingston is a big proponent of that for sure. Mm-hmm. They love numbers. Um, like you said, I think it just comes down to the eyeball test. Yeah. Um, and just being able to do your job and just get guys out as a pitcher. Yeah. And then for a hitter, getting on base, really, mm-hmm. uh, and scoring runs as, as many as possible. But, yeah, they, they look into it. Um, I like it just because it's new and it, it'll help us in certain ways, mm-hmm. but a lot of the times it can go flip or flop. So right. like you never really know what somebody's going to do until it happens. Right so now, were you a? Uh, did I remember correctly? Were you a sidearm guy starting out your freshman year? Or no, I was you, always. You're always over the top. Okay. Yeah, I just didn't throw that. Horse. I got well, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Your velo made a huge jump because I want to talk about that 18 year. Obviously, I mean, you made 21 appearances. I mean, your freshman stats were pretty good. Three and 2.33. I remember watching you. <clears throat> the first time I watched you, um, I think this was 18, was you pitched against Clemson, I believe, in Greenville. I think um, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you threw really well. And that was like the first time I saw you. You're like, okay, you got something. Obviously, you were a bullpen guy at that point. I feel like you were like a – at that point, at least, you were kind of like a seventh inning guy. And you went back and forth between being a starter and back into the bullpen and stuff like that. But your yeah. first full year actually getting on the mound, you know, you'd been practicing all that good stuff. But – I mean, talk about, you know, growing up a Carolina fan, that rush of emotions the first time you got to pitch at Founders Park in front of, you know, a capacity crowd, whatever. Like, what, what was that like for you, again, growing up a Gamecock? No, yeah, it was awesome. I, I think my first outing was against VMI in that 17 season. And I came in, and I don't remember what inning, 
I'm not that guy that like remembers mm. right, every right, single yeah. detail, but I, uh, I came in, I just remember like the view, like it was just different. I don't know what about it was different. Like I had the Jersey on, like mm. I was there, like I finally accomplished right. that goal. And I was like, all right, I got to get to work. Like, this is where I, I make right. a legacy. So, I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, it was a dream come true. Like I loved every bit of it, right. honestly. Well, what was the biggest challenge for you? Cause like you said that, that first year, I mean, your velo made a big jump. So like, what was your, your game personally, how did your game evolve overall at South Carolina? Because I, you know, later in your career, obviously going back to this past season, I mean, you were a guy had some good velo. I mean, low nineties. And that, like you said, that first year, I think you evolved and obviously matured as a pitcher. So how do you feel like when you assess your own game, the way you grew at South Carolina and how much did like your mentality change? I mean, obviously just getting experience is going to help, but mm -hmm. you obviously learn about yourself, like your strengths, your weaknesses, you add different pitches, you work on different pitches, locations, whatever. But mm -hmm. how do you feel like you improved most and changed most over your career at South Carolina as a, as a pitcher? Yeah. So I would say probably from my freshman year, to this current year um one of the biggest differences from my freshman year would be i don't know i didn't really feel as confident in myself at sometimes mm -hmm. like i would always feel a little bit nervous or kind of like oh i'm gonna mess up um if i do this if i do that whatever happens mm -hmm. i would put a lot of pressure on myself and then i realized like probably a year ago or this uh last fall or even in, during the spring um like i just i had to be confident in myself no matter what mm -hmm. was going to happen like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give it everything I got. Like, no matter what happens, I, I'm going to win no matter right. what. So, like, people don't get the mind game that it is. Yeah. Like, baseball is unlike any other sport. And that is, it is literally is mental warfare. Mm -hmm. I mean, and if you don't, like you're saying, if you don't trust yourself, believe in yourself, throw every pitch with conviction, you know, your yeah. coaches talk about that. I mean, it's you have the game confident. will eat you alive. Yeah. It will eat you alive. Got to be confident. Uh, can't let the bad memories stick around too long. Mm -hmm. That's why I try to forget like a short-term memory about right. you have to, outings. Pitcher, have to got to yeah um i don't know i guess another thing is just focusing on what you're good at and making sure you're good at that and don't be mm -hmm. just kind of mediocre at everything so like i had a decent change up so i would throw the change up every day in practice make sure it was feeling good um just focusing on what you're good at and just putting putting up numbers honestly mm, for sure <laughs> doing what you can do now that 18 season <clears throat> again kingston's first year really really interesting because it started off not very great um lose the series to clemson yet again things are off to a rocky start and i you know i ask everybody about this is play with you on that team that that pc game mm -hmm. you lose that midweek and it's like a come to jesus moment with kingston he whatever takes whatever away from you guys the players lounge or yeah. whatever and all just from there it's just like boom it clicks sweep lsu you guys go off, go on a run um, all the way to the Super Regionals in Fayetteville, and I, which I know had to be a crazy experience. But yeah. just talk about that season as a whole. I mean, again, you know, you're you're kind of just getting your feet wet, but also going through this. Like, what, what do you think clicked for that team? Like, what was it that just all, all of a sudden just came together? I wish I had an answer for you. I really don't know. Right. Because, um, were again, there were really good players on that team as well. I mean, you look no, at that, yeah. that pitching staff, really good. Mm -hmm. Really good pitching staff. Yeah, so – I think it was just honestly just Kingston kind of hate to say it like this, but getting in our ass a little bit. Right. Like we just needed that like push. Basically we were just kind of not soft, but we weren't as like, we weren't as together. Mm. And then after that, I would say like, obviously the players lounge was taken away. And then just that, like, I don't know. It was probably a couple of days or a week long of like realizing, Oh wow, we're terrible right now. We got to do something. We got to mm. get better. Um, and then we all just kind of meshed mm. and then it just kind of took off. 
Yeah, I mean, like it definitely said. clicked. I, I'll ask you again that, that first year. Did you have, like, a welcome to the SEC moment, whether it was, like, in practice or in a game, like, where you're, like, you it clicked. You're, like, this is not high school anymore. Like, this, is the, this is the real deal. I think playing that first SEC team, mm. realizing, like, oh, wow, this is I, – I don't remember who we played. Like mm. I said, I don't remember everything. But uh, playing, like, the Vanderbilts and the Floridas – georgia's like they're big schools but like we're also a big school and it, right. like you got to realize that oh yeah you're there like mm -hmm. you're at the d1 sec level and like i don't know you just you just got to turn the switch on mm -hmm. honestly i i, I so, can imagine seeing emerson hancock throw 100 from the dugout is <laughs> i remember uh i forget who i was talking to and it was recently too but they, they were they were talking about that and it was just like i mean you're seeing him pump 100 it's like <laughs> I mean, was, you want to believe you're going to win every game but like yeah. you see that and then the guy coming out of the bullpen's throwing 98 and it's just like unbelievable okay might be a long night. i thought that game just from that performance that he had that he was going to go 1-1 one, one, like no matter oh what. yeah yeah like he was sitting 97 in the seventh yeah like that's like Incredible. mlb numbers yeah so just watching that game and watching him pitch i was like wow this is as close to professional baseball as it gets yeah so for sure so yeah. and again that that 18 season we'll go back to it though just talk about again you're a young buck but that run through the regional and again turning it around after the way it started and you know going on that run kingston's first year you go to the supers and you talk about those big time sec teams and you go to fayetteville which is a big time environment like their fans are crazy we all saw yeah. it on tv but i mean that, that had to be a really cool experience for you especially rebounding from the first year where it was just so you know down and out coaching change to I mean you're a game away from Omaha which is yeah. obviously a Carolina that's the ultimate destination just talk about that experience that that uh going through that well let's see <laughs> that year was crazy so going to Arkansas was actually really fun right um we went now, out their there fans make it a blast that's oh, for yeah. sure we played them seven times that year uh three during the season mm -hmm. one during the uh, SEC tournament and then three obviously in the super regional and they were probably the best team in the nation mm. that year. Unfortunately, they didn't win it, but uh, they, they, they were as hot as we were. Mm. They were really good. Um, there was 12,000 people there when we were in the, S or the regional or super regional. And that was easily one of the best environments I've ever played in right. uh, just because of the amount of people and how loud it was. And I don't know about, I don't, <laughs> it was just crazy. No, for sure. I mean, watching on TV, you see their fan base, and it's just yeah. like. And I, I've asked, I've asked guys, heck, that played during you know the College World Series teams, and they're saying like that's probably the rowdiest environment college baseball wise I've been in. Like they, yes. their fans are brutal. Yeah. They will eat. They were letting alive. us have it during yeah. uh, BP. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny though. This guy wanted to like trade. He had like a straw hat, right? And he wanted to trade us for one of our hats. Right. I was like, can't do that, obviously, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's our game hat. Yeah, yeah. Um they would just say like a bunch of stupid stuff. It was, it was honestly really funny. Not like it wasn't bad. But right. It was right. Just funny. <laughs> right. Right. I don't for know. Sure. Yeah. So you go into that 19 season again, you're, you're a big part of this staff and we, we all know what happened in 19, obviously, like I said, comparing it to 17. Um, but I think it's no secret that the, the, the loss of Carmen was really kind of what kind of derailed everything i mean you lose your bona fide mm -hmm. ace and i remember i was at all three of those clemson games so i was at that clemson game when he got that freak injury broke his foot but yeah 
we'll talk on a more positive light. Again, you're, you grow up a Gamecock baseball fan to beat Clemson in that 19 series. And obviously I had Reed on the show and other guys, but mm-hmm. you know, Reed with that great performance on Sunday. And yeah, I, I did you pitch in that series? I'm trying to think, did you pitch in that? Series? I did. I pitched at four. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Greenville, Greenville, Greenville. Yeah, yeah was... for sure. Yeah. yeah I think it was, it was great. Cause I know you didn't pitch the first one at Clemson, which was, that was the Brett Carey game. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, Phenomenal weekend. I mean, you finally get them. Talk about the rivalry as a whole, because I would argue it's the best college baseball rivalry in the country. And then getting that win over them and you having that personal tie, being from, you know, the local area, I'm sure that had to be extra sweet for you. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, Yeah, I pitched in Greenville, so I really didn't get to – I don't think I pitched at Clemson my whole career. (laughs) I either pitched – I think I pitched at Floorfield every time we played Clemson. Mm. But just getting that satisfaction of, like, finally beating them – so from like earlier in the year, earlier in my career, um, it was nice. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's just, it is a big rivalry. There's a ton of people that support it, come out and support each team. So it's a great atmosphere, great rivalry. I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah. And intense. <laughs> I remember that 19 year, that was the year that, uh, and his name slips my mind, but the guy made the culture comments about like our culture is better than their culture as far yeah, as like our team. And I, I remember, I mean, I've had guys on, it's like, you know, you don't say anything publicly, but behind closed doors, everybody kind of, it's like, yeah. okay, let's go kick their ass. Yeah. Like, for sure. <laughs> and you guys did that, obviously, that Sunday game. But talk about just the challenges of the 19 season. I mean, again, you're – and I, I thought it was interesting because a lot of the guys you saw thrust in early, um, I think of you, I think of Danny Lloyd. I mean, there were a lot – I mean, you're asking these young bucks to, again, mm-hmm. go out there and compete against Emerson Hancock. And I remember it yeah. was – I think it was Danny Lloyd pitching on that Friday, or I think maybe y'all played him on Thursday or whatever. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you're just – or maybe it was Reed. I don't know, but I remember talking to Reed about this. Like, you just look at the pitching matchups, and it's like – you want to believe you're going to win every game, but at some point you're like, we're kind of outmanned here. Yeah. Um, just just, just talk about that because, again, on one hand, you know, it was tough. It was a struggle, but it's, it's a great – growing opportunity for you personally i mean to get out there thrown in the fire i mean and you know we got the picture up behind us from that game i know you were out there for that one but just that season as a whole i'd imagine for you personally there was a lot of growth there yeah so that season it started off pretty good honestly um i think what killed us i don't want to say when carmen got hurt i think it was definitely that last month to where we literally had 10 pitchers it was like nine or 10 pitchers left because everyone was hurt yeah. like Tommy John I hurt my back um in April 2019 so I missed the last month and it was just brutal because we didn't have everyone at full capacity like we didn't have yeah. our guys we didn't have Carmen, not playing obviously. with a full deck I mean just literally not, yeah, yeah literally so not playing with a full deck we were just trying to scrape by honestly but that's all we could do yeah like we didn't have any other options so that last month was brutal um I would say there was definitely some positives during that whole season yeah. I can't remember specifically. Well, you, you overcome adversity and you yeah. learn a lot about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there were definitely positives from the individual side. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that 19 year though, you guys were like leading the nation in home runs for a, a little oh, bit yeah. there. Like the power was there and the our hitting was, was there. Yeah, hitting was there. <laughs> but again, in that type of season, you're going to learn a lot about yourself mm-hmm. as a player. And like, can you overcome adversity? Because again, that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing in baseball is you're going to fail more than you succeed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, there were some memorable moments. We'll talk about the one we were talking about off air a little bit, but that Georgia game. And I, I, that, I mean, maybe it's bad I'm saying that. That's like one of the most memorable outings you had at your career yeah. for me is because it was so crazy how it started versus how it ended up. But you go out there and you said it was Georgia. And maybe people won't remember this. Maybe it's just me. But <laughs> um, load the bases, nobody out. 
and everybody's like goes in panic mode on obviously social media is a calm cool collected place right but anyway, yeah. you're watching the game you're like oh my god this might be a long day you know I, I don't know if you struck out the next three or you got out of it whatever yeah no damage done you end up going like i think six or seven maybe i, I mean it was lo- five yeah, yeah a, five, a longer so. outing than we would have expected it was yes. like a 40 pitch first inning yeah um but I'll ask you, just memorable outings. I know, like you said, you don't remember everything from them, but memorable outings, where does that one rank? Because, like I said, that was just so crazy. Like, I, I, would, I would ask, have you ever had an outing like that where it starts out so poorly and then turns out to be, like, a pretty solid day at the office? Honestly, no. That was probably the only one like that. But it's definitely probably top three and most memorable. Mm. Like, because it was just such – like, it was so bad and then it went so good. Right. <laughs> but – I would say like probably the top two would either be my first win against Vanderbilt. Uh, we were down like seven to nothing going into the fourth and I came in out of the bullpen and pitched an inning, got out of it, no runs. And then the next inning we were up eight to seven. Mm. I think we scored eight runs or something like crazy. So I was in lined up for the win and I pitched like three and a third. I was eligible for the win and I got the win thankfully, but that's one of them. And then playing Tennessee on Sunday, I think in, what 17 mm. no 18 yeah, 18, 18 18 um i came out of the bullpen with the bases loaded in a 2-0 count uh through two ball or i threw one ball got the 3-0 or no it was a 1-0 count sorry uh 1-0 count through two balls got the 3-0 bases loaded <laughs> two outs uh through three straight strikes struck the guy out and got out of the inning <laughs> and we were up like one so if the right. single like right. we're gonna be down obviously so i don't know that was one of the crazy ones too it was just kind of like, all right, my back's against the wall. I have to do something here. Just going to throw strikes. Like Sw- Switching gears a little bit. Best hitter you ever faced while you're at Carolina. <laughs> Is there one guy you can think of, like, this guy just can't get this guy out for whatever reason? Just, like, gave you trouble. Yeah, there was – what's his name? Uh, from Florida, Nelson. I know who you're talking about. The righty yeah. Nelson something. Maldonado. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Nelson Maldonado. He always gave me fits, like – I remember pretty damn good player too. Yeah, he can, he can <laughs> swing. The cap, like, yeah. I don't know what he's doing now, but he right. can swing it in college. <laughs> um, I threw him like a O2 fastball in trying to jam him, mm. and he somehow like hits it down. The, he pulls it down the line, and like two runs score. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, how did he right. freaking hit that? And like, I just, he always gave me like the toughest at bats, mm. honestly. So he was one of the guys. Uh, I never faced like JJ Blade. Mm. Uh, I did face Austin Martin in that first bandy game that I pitched. I can't stud. remember. Can't remember what happened. He's a stud, stud. now. But um, was there a guy on your own team that gave you? Because I mean, obviously you guys battle each other in inner squads and all that. And yeah. Like, was there like a guy on your own team that you just couldn't get for whatever Let's reason? See. I think so. Brady Allen. I think he's going to be a stud. But mm. literally, so I think in, in a, uh, I can't remember if it was the Garnet and Black World Series or just a fall scrimmage in general hit a grand slam off of me <laughs> and i i kind of asked for it, it was 2-0 i had to throw a fastball right, right. deposits it in center <laughs> field so um he always gave me fits that's the only one i can really think of yeah, right now scrappy brady's a scrappy hit yeah for sure i mean that first year of my 16 uh 2016 fall i guess you could say ross grovner he hit a nuke yeah. off me <laughs> <laughs> Jonah Bride hit a nuke off me. Some good uh, say some sluggers on that team. For yeah. Sure. You leave one over the middle, they're going to take you deep. Yeah. Um, so. so, obviously, we come to this past spring, the 2020 season, which um, unfortunately got cut short. The COVID stuff, we all know, uh, which sucked. Because um, mm-hmm. I remember literally where I was when I found out it was going into that 
Tennessee series and you're like two or three days away from the start of SEC ball and then it gets taken away from all of us, which again, I, I, I only imagined how you guys felt. I mean, I know how I felt, but I was thinking about the players and stuff, whatever. But going into that 2020 season, again, you were once again a really big part of that staff. And I, I know you guys had a re-energized sense of wanting to get after it just kind of proved that 2019 was a fluke and mm-hmm. I really thought I mean again I, I know there were some ups and downs early the Clemson series was a really hard fought one it just didn't go your way but I I really thought you guys going into SEC ball were primed to go on because I, I saw some good pieces definitely on the hitting side of things but pitching for sure I you know you we all feel like Carmen was going to get it really going and I would have loved to seen him go through a full SEC season and then yeah. you know what Far and Jordan did and I think them coming back this in this upcoming season's huge like I think they're two really really good pieces but mm-hmm. just talk about again we'll talk first just the season how you felt coming in for yourself personally for the team obviously it gets cut short but I don't know I I, I felt pretty good about this team coming in honestly I thought there was a lot of good pieces I did too I, I think this team or last year's team was going to do really good, hmm. um, especially with Carmen and BJ and Far on the weekends. I mean, Kerry started out on the weekends, hmm. but either one would, is going to do great. Um, our starters were going so deep that first probably two weeks hmm. that none of the bullpen guys were getting right. innings. Yeah. <laughs> like they go to six, seven, eight innings. I remember Carmen going like eight innings against somebody. Um, and then I think Danny came in and shut it out. But hmm. literally, those guys. They were studs right at the beginning. Um, I I would have loved to see how SEC play would have worked out. Uh, we probably would have done pretty well, mm. honestly. <laughs> um, I don't, and then personally, I was in the bullpen. I, I was ready to go um, whenever needed. Mm. So and obviously, you like, we talked about it a little bit earlier, obviously, but you developed a lot as a pitcher. What do you attribute most to like the velo jump? And again, you you got bigger, stronger mentally, you got sharper. But like, what do you? Is there anything specifically you'd say you attribute it to, or is it just overall just development while you were there? I would say probably just development. Um, I was never one to really make a huge jump in a short right. of, period of time. Uh, I think it would just be like the constant. I think you got incrementally better yeah. like, as you were there. Each yeah. year, like I yeah. had some got a little bit better. Yeah, and then yeah. this last year, it just kind of all came together. Mm. But I don't know. I was definitely putting up my best numbers probably this year, and I was ready to go. Like I felt good. Everything was feeling really good uh, coming off spring scrimmages. And just I would have loved to see how this year played out for mm. everybody. Like, yeah. It would have been great, I think. And then getting it, I mean, getting it taken away. I mean, I, I, then, yeah. I, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's no words that can describe, like, how, how much that sucked, obviously. I mean, it's something unprecedented nobody's ever dealt with. But mm-hmm. um, I just, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I remember when it happened, I, I just felt so much for the guys on, in that locker room, like as far as guys that, you know, may never play another college game. You know what I mean? And, like, yeah. obviously, I mean, you got signed by the Brewers and you're, you're doing that now. But just, I mean – I guess what was it like? I mean, what could but what can you really say? Like, I mean, what you know what I'm saying? Like to yeah. everybody had to deal with it. I know. I just remember that meeting we had in March, like literally two days before we were supposed to face Garrett Crochet, who throws 102 for the White yeah, Sox. Yeah, literally, right literally, yeah, literally in the and, big leagues. <laughs> uh, I just remember Kingston saying, um, we all have to go through this right now. Uh, we're gonna try to stay positive. Um, unfortunately, our season might be shut down. Uh, we don't really know right now. So just kind of having that unknown mm. for the next literally month, we thought it wasn't going to be that long, but I guess just making that initial adjustment, like, oh, this, like that past weekend was like my last game as a Gamecock. Like mm. I, that, that didn't really sink in until 
like two or three months yeah. after everything shut down. So like just, just that being taken away, it was tough, mm -hmm. but we all stuck together through it. Like we all helped each other out. Like right. we were all there for each other, but uh, it was, it was just really tough for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we, You'll always be part of the COVID team. We tried, you, can, yeah. you can always say that. I, I was on the COVID Gamecock team. <laughs> yeah, we tried our best to uh, to be positive about so, it. And I want to ask you, too, because, again, uh, you get signed by Milwaukee, but it was a weird year for the MLB draft. Shortened yeah. to five rounds, which I thought was just – I thought was madness. But either way, shortened to five rounds, and you're a guy, obviously, you're looking at your pro future, and, you know, you do end up – Noah, Noah got signed by Milwaukee, too, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you guys are both of the Brewers. Okay. Yep. So – you both get signed with Milwaukee, but you, you know, you're going through that. Just talk about for you. I mean, talk about getting the call. I'm sure that was a huge sigh of relief and that felt great, obviously. And mm -hmm. to become a professional baseball player, you're, you're realizing a lifelong dream, but I, I just can't imagine like being a prospect during all this uncertainty. And I'm sure, I'm sure scouts are zooming you and they want to know about you and figure out who you yeah. are and <laughs> strengths, weaknesses, mentally, who he is, but, but like, Going through that process, then finally getting signed by the Brewers, like I have to imagine that's got to be like a highlight of your entire young life at this point. Yeah, it really was. Um, I think the toughest part was filling out all the questionnaires because <laughs> they take a minimum of like 20, 30 minutes each. Right. But uh, other than that, no, the call was uh, was amazing. Uh, I was I was on that first day of the free agent signings. Um, I got called like not like ten something a.m. right when after it opened. Um, I can't remember who it was, either the Rays or the Mets. They were saying, hey, we're kind of looking at you. We're not really sure what we're going to do yet for free agents. Um, just kind of stay close to your phone. We'll give you a call later on. Uh, and then Taylor Frederick from the Brewers called, I think around like lunchtime or something. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? Just want to uh, touch base with you, see how you're doing. Uh, keep your phone close. We'll call you if, uh, if something changes here or something happens. And he ended up calling me at probably five. Mm. So I had to wait probably four <laughs> five hours on the uh on the call sitting there kind of anxious because i didn't know what else was gonna or who else was gonna call anything so he calls me says hey tj how would you like to be a milwaukee brewer mm -hmm. i was like i would love to like i feel like this <laughs> is where i'm supposed to be i've been praying about it um i, I want to be a brewer so right. everything happened he said all right we'll give you that whatever signed that night literally within the hour mm -hmm. they sent over some paperwork i printed it and signed mm. and it was just good to go done yeah and, then, and of <laughs> it course, was so quick yeah yeah just a quick and i'm sure again that was unprecedented for them too like mm -hmm. doing the transaction i guess or whatever you want to call it that way but um talk about what what you've been doing like stay ready because i know obviously the minor league season gets completely taken away and mlb had their condensed season this year which i would actually say worked out pretty well for them but yeah. uh i mean for you guys for the minor leaguers i mean getting it like, what have you been doing to stay ready, to stay sharp? Like you said, you haven't pitched in competitive games since March. So, I mean, yeah. what's – uh? and I'm sure the Brewers have been in contact with you about, you know, giving you certain workout plans or throwing plans and whatever. But, uh, you know, what are you doing right now to stay sharp? Because, obviously, the hope is – we all have our fingers crossed that, you know, things are going to go back to remotely normal in 2021 and you're going to go to some sort of spring training or whatever it is, instructional league, and yeah. kind of get your pro career, all, you know, off and running. So I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, so, right – probably since when everything shut down, I took a little bit off of throwing mm. during the summer, me, Carmen, Noah, and all of them would, uh, would go out and do live ABs just cause we were throwing everything. Right. Everybody's in shape, mm. uh, ready to play. Uh, we didn't want to play summer ball because we weren't really sure if it would be safe or anything, right, right. obviously, but, um, 
No, so we would basically face each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we had another guy, Brady Feigl, with the A's. He would come out and throw live ABs with us. Uh, he did really well. He had to throw like a certain amount of innings, mm-hmm. so that the hitters needed to be there. Right, right. And no, it was great. Um, I don't know. We just stayed in shape. Did that probably for two months, and then obviously working out in between all of that. We did that every Sunday, the live mm-hmm. ABs. Right. And then we work out throughout the week. Uh, they would go hit. We would throw during the week. Me and Carmen, and probably the last month or so, I've just mm-hmm. been in the weight room right right just getting <laughs> so stronger. yeah like there's really no reason to throw i kind of right. shut down about a month ago now um i think i'll start back here a couple weeks i was gonna say your, your arm but, is probably getting as much rest as you've ever had in your entire life I yeah because you're i mean when you're, you're a pitcher you're just constantly throwing constantly throwing but i i i'd imagine like on the flip side looking at the positive it's like man i, I feel great right now my yeah. shoulder elbow we're good to go <laughs> yeah me and carmen were throwing uh probably two months ago and we're like wow like our arms have never felt <laughs> this great yeah. <laughs> like there'd be some days obviously yeah, where it's yeah. hanging but overall felt good yeah so yeah so we just trying to kind of do anything to do or anything to sh- uh, stay in shape yeah so. just stay ready before yeah. i get you out of tj i do, I do want to ask you i know you've been like you said we we're talking off air to a couple of the scrimmages and stuff like that. i know you probably don't know like all the new guys or whatever but mm-hmm. if i mean just looking ahead again we're way far off and i tell people it's so hard to project baseball especially this far out because lineups and staff they can change so much you know you bring in these new guys especially too and i mean that is the one thing as far as with the mlb draft shortening is you know a lot of college teams got a lot of really good players that decided to come to school but when you look at this team and this program under mark kingston and not just coming into 2021 but beyond like what are the things you like what are you expecting from this program um as a proud gamecock baseball alum let's see i really think this next year will probably be the best year for college baseball. It's, it's yeah. had in a while. Yeah, I'd agree. Just because all the talent's returning, a lot of new talent coming in because not a lot of guys signed through the draft. Uh, so it's going to be an immense amount of talent, but I think we'll be straight. Like, I mm. think we'll be pretty good. We got our guys. Uh, we got some new guys that are doing really well. I've only been to a couple of scrimmages, mm. but um, I'm hearing there's home runs left and right, yeah. 95, 96. Well, and then you got Kingston right. saying, I think you said over 10, maybe 10 or 15 guys are bumping yeah. 95 or something. Like, it's crazy, yeah. like the velo. So, our pitching staff's going to be straight. Um, hitting's going to be really good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch them this mm-hmm. year. For sure. I just kind of wish I could be out there with them, but. <laughs> yeah, true. No, yeah. for sure. I'll definitely be supporting, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll be watching. TJ, before I get you out of here, man, it's been a pleasure, by the way. You've been gracious yep. with your time. No um, any Any – Funny memories, moments, stories behind the scenes you can tell. Man, uh, that that you can tell on air, I'll say, because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that happened during your career. But anything that stands out, you personally, team-wise, like just funny memories or or just great memories from your time at Carolina? <laughs> Let me – okay. So, I would say my freshman year, before games, we would all like jam out to music, like mm-hmm. funk music, kind of get going, <laughs> getting a loose kind of mood. Right, right. Um, watching Madison Stokes and Hunter Taylor dance like together, <laughs> like was just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like I took videos of it. I can't, I mean, I could show them, but <laughs> obviously I can't right now, but no, just watching that, like seeing how loose they were, seeing how fun it was. It was probably one of the best memories I had from that year mm. because it was like, I know those guys now and that like, I talked to Madison a good bit still. Um, 
it was just so funny, like just being with those guys and bonding with them. It was awesome. Yeah, so. awesome. Dude. Those clubhouse memories, those bus rides, yeah. that's that's the ones that are stick out for sure. Well, TJ, again, yeah, gracious with your time, man. Thank you so much. I know I speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it was a pleasure watching you do what you did in the Garnet and Black. And um, best of luck. Obviously, we'll be keeping up with your career with the Brewers and ho- hope to see uh, get a get a shook Brewers jersey here here soon. That would I be hope so. that would be nice. So <laughs> for TJ Shook, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.